welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Ryan Norris. Ryan found himself in his 20s, buried in student debt and trapped inside corporate America. He made an incredible life-altering decision. With no experience, no network, and with no money, he escaped. Ryan left the corporate stage and found the extremely lucrative niche of mobile home park investing. Today, Ryan has a portfolio that spans 25 total mobile home parks, equaling almost 2,000 lots. He's the example that anything is possible with a vision and will to succeed. Ryan Norris, this is Wealth Science, brother. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm honored to be here. Jesse, thanks for having me. And like I said before we got started here, I'm here to help people, period. So whatever we can do together to spread knowledge and information so folks can achieve their dreams, I'm in. Dude, I love that. That's what this is all about. That was the vision behind this podcast was to bring on subject matter experts in the the wealth building industry, if that's real estate, crypto, whatever it is, and for us to add value uh, to to the everyday person out there. But I think your story is so incredible, Ryan, because I think there are people listening right now who are stuck in that same position that you were, I mean, years ago in, in corporate America, not happy, unsatisfied, I mean, can you kind of walk us through and, you know, a brief intro on your part, how, you know, how you were in those years and how kind of you got started in real estate investing and stuff like that? Oh, of course. I Look, it's this simple. I bought the lie. <laughs> the lie that we all were, if you grew up in the United States of America, you were most likely fed this lie, which is work really hard in high school. You go to a good university, you work really hard there, you get good grades. And with you go to a a rank are you a ranked university right and then you're you're going to get this great job coming out of it and then you work really hard there you climb the ladder you retire on a beach with martinis none of this is true <laughs> like none of this is true if you look at if you look at aunt becky that whole aunt becky scandal you're literally but you can buy your kids or at least you could i don't know if it's as easy anymore you can or could buy your kids regardless of grades pretty much into the best universities i i just recently watched something on tom morello of the um rage against the machine went to harvard and then struggled to find a job and then thankfully rage against the machine happened brilliant dude right but you go to harvard that's not doesn't mean you're guaranteed a job because you go to harvard not to knock harvard i couldn't get into harvard and so first and foremost the lie of you work really hard you'll get into a great school i know plenty of people who are really really smart who did not get into their primary university where they wanted to go whether they're qualified or not it, it just 
hard work. One of my friends just made a post not even an hour or two ago on Facebook where he basically just said, hard work does not guarantee you anything. And then you go to university and just because you go to a good university or even university in general does not guarantee you anything. And just because you get a job, even a good job after some of my friends who graduated with me, both undergrad or from my MBA, the folks who just were crushing it that everybody thought had the best jobs immediately coming out are messaging and texting me. Hey, how do I get it? <laughs> do what you do. <laughs> so it's all a lie. And I'll tell you why it's all a lie. It's all a lie because it's outdated information, Jesse, because you're getting information that was maybe true several decades ago when pensions were a thing and when something like half the country didn't even have or barely had a high school degree. Yeah, if half the country doesn't have a high school degree or not many over that, then a college degree is probably going to help out big time. And it's, it's, not, it's not just that. It's that even if all of that was true, companies today, they just behave differently, man. They'll lay you off in a second for just shave off uh, 200 grand from the payroll, right? Like you work, imagine that you work your way up for decades or you're incredibly loyal to a company. You're making 200 grand a year. You got 200 people reporting to you and then boom, yeah. you're laid off and you can't find another job that pays that. To me, <laughs> that sounds awful. And we haven't even gotten started, Jesse, on the whole, like <laughs> you can't find meaningful work or you struggle to yeah. find meaningful work part. So, yeah, I was in my 20s and out of pretty much so within a year of graduating university, I was like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to get out of this. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, when I when I and what's awesome about this is like, I know there's somebody listening right now who's in that unfulfilling job or sitting in that cubicle for 12 hours a day. And, and I think you hit on a great point with like you could be laid off at any second. And then have a difficult time getting another job or or something like that. Like I'm I'm curious. Like when you made that jump, um, I mean, was it was it all in one day? Was it like a build up? Was it over the course of a week, or did you roll in on Friday and be like, hey, here's my two weeks? No way. So this is one thing that I'm glad you brought up because I don't want to inspire people to do something truly stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated undergrad in '09. I realized I could not find a job that I liked until I basically went to work for my former karate instructor who's a sales manager at a car dealership. And I was like, dude, economy is trash. We're going to try to make it here. And I worked there for four years. And for a lot of reasons, it was wonderful. And I've really thoroughly enjoyed it for a long time, but it, it wasn't, but a couple months into it where I realized, man, it, this is, this is it. This is life. This is what we're going to do. We're going to work really hard as a salesperson and then fight to get a promotion to the finance desk. And then you fight to get a promotion to the sales desk and you fight to get a promotion, to general sales manager, and you fight to get a position as the GM. I, I mean, I was 23 years old and I looked up at the side of the building and I went, I want to be that guy. Yeah. Oh, my name on the side of the building. That dude shows up in his Ferrari, eats lunch, celebrates, tells everybody they did a good job, and then goes back to his country club. I want that. How do I get that? I'm not going to listen to all these people around me who are telling me what to do when the truth is 
they don't have what I want. I'm going to go find that guy and I'm going to talk to that guy and I'm going to listen to that guy. And while I maybe didn't necessarily recognize that Jesse right away back in 2010, when that was my first full year of, of being a working professional, it, it took a couple of years to really beat up and, and rid of convictions, middle-class convictions, this middle-class mindset yeah. that's just been beaten into me for my, literally my entire life. I didn't know any millionaires. I didn't know any millionaires. And flash forward 2012, I just realized I need to pick up every single book I can read. And yeah. so in 2012, I read 50 books, over 50 books. Then I committed myself to let's read 50 books a year. And let, and then from there, it was let's, oh my gosh, let's start a business. I have to do that. And it took me three years. So 2015, I discovered mobile home parks. It took me three years to discover mobile home parks. I, I looked at over 100 businesses to start in three years. I started three. I lost money. <laughs> Those did not go well. <laughs> and when I found mobile home parks, the, it was like the light at the end of the tunnel. This is what I'm meant to be when I grow up. And then it took another two years to get full-time. So I didn't actually get full-time until 2017. And uh, what was that? June of 2017, end of June, early July, 2017. And so it took two years to prepare, a year to kind of prove to myself I could make money in it. And then another year to prepare to, to go full-time. And as of this recording, it's late 2021. So we're talking, I've been full-time in this space for four years, a little over. And just FYI, for the first year, year and a half, I actually lived in a mobile home and this I paid myself $35,000 a year, $35,000 a year to be a property manager, to run my own stuff until I could refinance or and or sell out of what I owned so I could finally have some capital. And even then, I took even longer. It wasn't until about a year ago where I increased my salary from 35000 to a whopping 48000 And it wasn't until really, I don't know, maybe in the last six months that I actually am cash flowing what I used to as a banker, because I worked for Wells Fargo for a while, wonderful place to work, just wasn't for me. So I'm finally making more than cash flowing more than that. But if you look at how much money I have made versus relative to what I reinvested in my company, it's comfortably over 50% a year. And this year I'm tracking over 80% at about 90% of dollars that I make that get reinvested into my company. So I don't want people to hear this and go, wow, that's great. I'm just going to quit my job and it'll all work out. No, this is the better part. We're in 2021, started this journey in 2010. So we're talking 11 years with a lot of crazy sacrifice and a lot of years scratching my head, being frustrated, feeling like I'm getting nowhere. So if you're listening in and you're, you're frustrated, like this is not a quick process. I think that's so powerful. And like, I want you to, to, to hit on that for just a little bit, like in that 2013, 2014, 2015, I mean, you're reading books, but your wheels are spinning. You're trying to get traction and see if this can really build into something bigger. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, in the learning process itself, there's so much failure and there's so much getting kicked in the face and kicked in the teeth. I mean, in those years in that, again, that 2013 to maybe like 2015 or 2016 range, when you're trying to figure it out, I mean, what's that day-to-day 
week to week, month to month life where, man, I'm getting my face kicked in, you know, I'm making mistakes and stuff like that. I'm curious. Uh, it's horrible. <laughs> depressing. <laughs> I was really depressed. I was depressed. I put on 15 pounds of what I called sad weight. Just, I was, I was just utterly miserable. I mean, there's, there's no polite way or easy way or euphemismic, if that's a, a word way to put it, like it just sucked. I mean, to, to feel stuck where you, you don't want to get promoted because you know, that means more responsibility, more stress, less time with your family for a little bit more pay. You don't want to leave because you can't really get paid as much as you're getting paid elsewhere you know, you got to start at the bottom. So you go and you get your MBA because everybody tells you, oh, you get your MBA. And then you, that's, that's a way to switch careers or get to the next level. And basically you go from the complaints I had at a car dealership were the same complaints I had at a bank. No, no complaints about either the people I worked with, no complaints about the, the job itself. It just wasn't for me. And for those listening in who feel like, man, that's, um, that this guy sounds like me in the regard that I'm depressed, I'm unfulfilled, I feel underpaid and overworked, and I feel stuck. Most importantly, I feel stuck. That's how I felt. I want to I want to read a quote real quick. Yeah. From George Bernard Shaw. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable man persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. And I, Jesse, I wanted to read that quote for a reason because I was the unreasonable man. I wanted things. I wanted $100,000 per year. That was my number. I was like, gosh, if I could hit 100 per year, everything would be great. And I, you know, went out and I worked really, really hard. I remember I, I tracked this in July of 2011. I didn't take a single day off at the car dealership. Not one. I was there every single day in July of 2011. I worked my tail off at that car dealership. And then at the bank and every other job I had, I'm just someone who I just, I'm going to work as hard as, as, as I can at it to differentiate myself. And what you eventually realize is Everybody works really hard. That doesn't yeah. make you special. Everybody's really smart. Everybody goes to a good school. That doesn't make you special. Oh, I went to Harvard. Great. So did a thousand other people. I had a, a manager at, at the bank who'd tell me in so many words, look, this is a pyramid. And it's a pyramid because every promotion you get, there are less of those jobs above sure. you and, and less vertical to you. And you know, oh, you went to Wake Forest University. Great. It's a good school. There's a whole treasure trove of people who went to better schools than that, Ivy League schools. You're going to compete with them? They're smart, too. They work hard, too. And it's Jesse, it's at a certain point where you have to decide whether you're going to stay the unreasonable man or you're going to become the reasonable man. You can complain that water is eroding things around you or you can build a dam or you can redo the irrigation right you're not you can't fight the market you can't fight mother nature you can only hope to adjust yourself to get your desired outcome and for me it just took a long time to let to be to 
to become humble in certain regards and to let go of things like the need for cash flow. Because let me tell you something, as long as your needs are being met, meaning you have a place, you have food, water, and shelter and friends and family and, and fun things to do, because it's, it's more than just, am I literally, do I literally have a heartbeat, right? You need to be psychologically <laughs> yeah. healthy too. Yep. You'll find money is effectively, it, it will only make you happy to a certain degree. And then it's, it, it faces a serious diminishing marginal utility. And I kind of forced myself into learning that by paying myself 35,000 a year. And, and it's just amazing because I lost 15 pounds in six months. I changed nothing about my lifestyle. All I did was quit and move into a single, a double wide mobile home. And it's because again, sad weight. It, it just, it all comes down to this. You, you have to have a, have several really, really, really difficult conversations about life and, and who you are and what you're willing to do and what you're willing, not willing to do. Ultimately, so you can make that transition from the unreasonable man to the reasonable man. And then once you become the reasonable man, then the fun starts because now you actually have to go out, find a business, prove you can make money in that business, and then eventually get full time in it. And it just takes years. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no short answer to the problem. People, I feel like we live in a world today of like GameStop and, and people want to, you know, start working on Monday and be partying in the Caribbean on Friday. And it's just not the reality. And, and this is an, another phenomenal example of that. And one of my other favorite quotes that hangs in my office here, it's, it's most people live lives of quiet desperation. And, and it just goes to what you're talking about of people being stuck and just not uh, understanding what else is out there and that there's so much more out there than the corporate nine to five or, or whatever you're stuck in. But where I, where I kind of wanted to go with this next, Ryan, and the story is so incredible uh, of you paying yourself $35,000 a year in this first mobile home park deal. Can you talk through that first deal and kind of what went into it and how you actually moved into the mobile home park and was physically living in the park. I'm, I'm, I know the story's insane. And this is so cool. So, yeah, I mean, we can spend as much time as you want on it, but my story is really not that unique. In fact, I didn't, I copied it myself. The truth of the matter is, there are tons of entrepreneurs who start companies out of their parents' garage or they sleep on their buddy's couch. This was no different. Ian, my business partner, and I, we went to Walmart. We didn't, we didn't even, we showed up to this double wide with basically clothes and some blankets and pillows and stuff. And then we went to Walmart and we each bought our own something like $50 blow up mattress and a couple lawn chairs. And Ian brought his TV, his ancient TV, which didn't even have a stand, by the way. So we had to lean it against the wall. And he and I basically just went, look, we're going to be living in Atlanta, Georgia. We are from Charlotte, North Carolina. Our family is four hours away. Our friends are four hours away. If we are here, we are working. We are going to make this unpleasant. And we did that on purpose. And, and the reason was, look, we, we were there to learn a lot. And people don't want to do that. And it, okay, <laughs> I'm not saying go make a giant sacrifice. I'm just saying I learned more in six months than I, I quickly realized most people in my space knew. The reason why is because people with money could hire operators and operators very rarely would go and buy mobile home parks. And when they did, then they wanted to be the people not operating anymore. So I realized, oh my gosh, no one wants to operate these things. Great. That's my in. So the lesson there to, to me really is 
you have to study things. Don't be afraid to study them for years. And then when you find your way to be different, you need to make a big fat sacrifice. I'm talking a huge sacrifice, being away from friends and family and eating food that's crazy cheap and probably unhealthy and working insane hours. But if no one else is doing it, guess what? You will walk away with war stories you can share with brokers and other mobile home park owners. You can then go on and be a better manager of your operations and your hire of contractors. And there's a better underwriting. I had no underwriting skills when I started this. I was not a finance person. And I just trial by fire, baby. I just went out and I underwrote things and I did my own accounting so I could be better at underwriting. I mean, I literally was on the phone with my CPA earlier today. I apologized to him. I went, look, I this is a MacGyver, basically, version of accounting. And he was like, quite the opposite, man. You've done all the heavy lifting for me here. All I have to do is fix your balance sheets in terms of depreciation and a couple other things. Otherwise, everything you have here is reconciled to the penny for every one of your properties. This is in, this is very easy for me. So, in other words, like you can't. That's the, those lessons all were learned by living in a double wide with nothing in it. So it, it's more than just like, oh, I didn't have any money, so I had to find a unique way to get full time. It was like. I also realized this is paying my dues. And I also realized I'm going to know more than most people because I was willing to get that education on the front lines. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And not to say like, you know, someone has to move into their first rental property to get this, but like, I mean, I'm sure that like when you're living there, like, I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder with the tenants on a daily basis and you're learning, you're you're learning how uh, these tenants think, how they operate, what they like, what they don't like. Um, And that's able to just build your knowledge in the asset class so much faster, as you mentioned. And then even as you've scaled now to, you know, nearly 2000 lots, it's like, you still have that, you know, on the ground perspective where you're like, well, I know, well, I think I know they're going to react like this if something like this happens Um, because you're shoulder to shoulder. I mean, that's such an incredible experience that I think, I don't think can be underrated. You know, I'm curious when you're living in that first deal, I mean, was anything, were there any skeletons that ever came out of the closet at at any point was like, like you and Ian, like inside the home, like freaking out at all or or anything like that. I'm I'm curious, any crazy stories out of that? Oh, we could talk for hours about crazy stories, but look, if I was, if I owned a juice company or a protein powder company or any other type of services, I I would consume my own product, right? If I sold juice, I would taste the juice, right? Apart from maybe like pharmaceuticals or drugs, I'm probably not going to take the drugs that I'm selling if I was selling pharmaceuticals. (laughs) But, you know, if if, if I'm selling cars, I'm going to drive the car that I'm selling. I I drove a Honda for years. I was a Honda salesperson. I worked for Wells Fargo. I mentioned that earlier. I had Wells Fargo bank accounts. If I'm I'm going to be a business person, I'm going to consume the product I'm selling. So the lessons were incredible. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I have a whole podcast episode about uh, a gentleman who threatened my life and the life of my employees it was a whole 20 minute long episode. I spare no details on it, but I got a credible threat on my life and I slept on the property that night, about a hundred yards from where that guy slept. 
Yeah. It's a wild <laughs> story. Again, it's like a 20 minute long story. So check out my podcast, Mobile Home Parks in Real Life for that and a ton of other stuff. But yeah, that's what happens, you know? And at the end of the day, I tell all my employees this, I'm never going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. So that's when I realized, because I remember when that happened, I told my investor partners and they're like, go to a hotel, get on the next flight home. And I, I remember I was out at dinner and I went by myself because I was in a spot where I knew nobody else. And I was at dinner by myself and I went, no, I'm sleeping in this mobile home tonight. I don't care. And I'll tell you why. What is it going to say about me if I get in a hotel and then jump on a plane and then never show back up? When they didn't say, the, the individual didn't say, I'm going to kill Ryan. He said, I'm going to kill everybody in the office. Uh, a leader leads from the front lines. So I'm never going to ask someone to do something I'm not willing to do. So when we raise rents or when we evict people, I tell everybody, if you need me to get involved, I will do it. I'll do it. Seriously. One of my property managers right now is having to evict her own son. And I told her, I said, you need me to show up to court? I'll do it. I'm never going to ask you to do something I wouldn't do. So yeah, I mean, we could talk crazy, wild, funny stories all day long, but I think your listeners, what they probably are, are hungry to hear is, look, lead from the front. I mean, does that mean you need to go and live in your own property if you're, you're going that route? No, not necessarily. You can still get a ton of education away. Does it, it just means, you know, maybe don't go hire a third-party management company out of the gate. Maybe take six months to fail your way forward, to learn how to do things like your own accounting, to learn how to hear complaints from residents and say, okay, they're threatening to move. Are they actually going to move? Like today, I had someone literally today say, oh, I didn't get the rent notice, the rent increase notice in time, so I'm not going to pay you. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not how that works. Not, I don't think that's how and it works. It, your initial reaction is, okay, I actually know the law because I read the general statutes for these states that I do business in. And I, your guttural reaction is to respond or at least coach your property manager to respond. General North Carolina general statute 42-14 states, you have seven days on a month, monthly, yada, 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 yada. Your guttural reaction is to do that. But when you've done this because you've lived in the mobile home parks and you've spent the time face-to-face with these folks and you've seen the same thing happen over and over and over again, you know, I, I don't need to say any of that. This is your rent. You're welcome to take me to court and contest it into court. Here's what's going to happen if you lose. You lose your house. Would you like to do that? No, you wouldn't. I, hey, listen, I'm happy to waive late fees. Oh, yeah. Actually, if you can just let me pay on the 15th and not pay late fees, we're good. Okay. So that's all it was. You didn't have the money right now. And (laughs) these are the things you just kind of learn by doing it over and over and over again. So again, can you outsource that? Yeah, sure. But at a price. And that price isn't just 5% of collected gross revenue. No, it's education. And again, you can do whatever you want. If you don't want to move into your rental property, you don't have to. I'm not saying you have to do that. I know plenty of people who haven't. I also know plenty of people I know a whole lot more than who've been doing this for longer than me because they aren't willing to do stuff like that. So again, it's you just have to find your comfort zones. What are you willing to do? What are you not willing to do? I know there's several things I'm not willing to do, and I pay a price for that. So in other words, you just have to find where your comfort zone falls. But again, if you want to be 
you want to bridge that gap between being the unreasonable man and the reasonable man, you have to have a really tough conversation with yourself, which is maybe I need to do something I really, 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 really don't want to do. Like, for example, if you're overweight, maybe you need to eat more vegetables. Like I, I've come into that. I've realized I was overweight and I needed to eat less. And number one, portion control. Number two, I need to eat healthier. I need to get back into having a, a, lifestyle where I actually work out and it was awful. I literally ran over four miles today and it sucked. (laughs) I was drenched in sweat, but guess what? Like that I'm the reasonable man. And the reason why is because I know that like, I can't have my cake and eat it too. I need to do certain things to get certain things. And it just quite literally takes years to beat through your own ego to just kind of realize what you have to do. And then you just have to go do it. I mean, it's, yeah. Shockingly simple. <laughs> it's shockingly simple, but I mean, it's so important too. And it's so, it's almost like wiring your, uh, your subconscious or wiring like your inner brain. Like, like you said, you were raised in that middle-class mentality where it was like, Hey, this is what I grew up and this is what I know. And it, it takes years to overcome that as, as you've kind of hit on today. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, as you guys are, we're scaling from, you know, the first mobile home park to where you guys are today, you know, what are like two or three major things that really kind of intrigue you about mobile home park investing and what kind of drew that to you, uh, drew you to that asset class, I guess, over other asset classes? You know, I, the, I, I caution to answer this. And I'll tell you why, because there's, I can give you a million different sexy things about mobile home parks. And, and at the end of the day, there's, I just had Heather Blankenship on my podcast. She's amazing. And I'm listening to her talk RV investing and I'm like, wow, that sounds so cool. Here's a bullet point list of all the sexy things about the space. And then I realized like, I am not an RV person. I don't like being in RVs. I don't like sleeping in RVs. They feel small and confined. And even the nice ones, I, I don't like being in for long periods of time. I'm just not an RV person. And therefore, I will eventually get bored of the money I'm making in them. Mobile home parks. So then you say, well, does that mean you want to go and live in a mobile home park? No. But what it does mean is I've always been really, really passionate about affordable housing and about helping underprivileged kids get their education. And I've read study after study that basically have said, look, kids who grow up in a stressful environment or around crime struggle to get their education. So what I've done is I buy these properties, I boot out bad people, criminals, drug users, the works. I make it affordable and maintain its affordability and clean up the properties as best as I can and reinvest in these properties. So that while, sure, there's always going to be stress that I can't help with, but at least it's not uh, your neighbor shooting up next to you, right? So in other words, that is something that fascinates me and I can control. My friend Kevin Bupp and I went on a, a debate. <clears throat> I'll give you one. Here, I'll, I'll throw this one in. <laughs> okay. Answer, answer your question directly. But my friend Kevin Bupp and I went on um, a debate, self-storage versus mobile home parks, which investment class is better? And I said this because it's actually an answer to your question. It's true. I am passionate and excited to wake up every single day to provide affordable housing in the midst of an affordable housing crisis when no one seems to want to fix it in politics. And every day I that motivates me to, to do better for... I'm, I'm making a profit while I'm helping people. 
And that gets me excited. Meanwhile, these knuckleheads who invest in these uh, self-storage books, you're helping people's old rusty golf bags have a place to sit, right? So in other words, I, I don't want to sit here and say, wow, the, the extremely lucrative niche of mobile home parks is the truth is it's really hard. It, there are a lot of incredibly difficult people that you have to put up with. There are a lot of ridiculous things that can happen. There are a lot of things you cannot automate. There are, it's very hard to find good help, even harder to find good help than other asset classes. And there's a reason why they trade for higher cap rates. And that reason is they are riskier. They are more difficult. They are less understood. They are wrought with risks. And therefore, the reward is higher. So I don't want to sit here and go, wow, it's really lucrative. No, it's really hard. And therefore, the reward is higher than something that's really automatable, like self-storage. Not saying self-storage is not hard. I'm just saying they'll trade at different cap rates and they'll offer different returns because of a different risk reward profile. So whatever you're looking at, be it mobile home parks or self-storage, awesome. And like I would invest in the self-storage passively in a second. I probably would never go and own and operate one myself though. And again, here's why. It's, it all comes down to what you're passionate about. You have to find what you're passionate about. And Jesse, that's the reward. Because at the end of the day, if you're not happy with what you're doing, why do you think that you're all, to, all of a sudden going to be happy if you're making more money? Spoiler alert, you're not. Same thing if you if you find a bunch of time. Like my another one of my friends today had a Facebook post where he was like, I've got time autonomy. And I realized that as soon as I got it, basically, I just had more time to be my miserable self because I never worked on me. So in other words, there's there's more to it than money or time with your family. Like you need to work on your health and your friends. You need to be a well-balanced person. And just because you invest in something sexy and do really well with it doesn't mean doesn't mean you're going to be happy, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm curious what you think about this too. And a lot of like what I talk, what I talk about and what we do with our own student housing and now in mobile home parks is like this mentality of empathetic capitalism where it's, it's a lot, I think what you're describing of we're improving the community, we're making people's lives better while we're also incurring a profit, but by, you know, by making our tenants lives, you know, better by improving the curb appeal, it's making the municipality better. It's improving the community as a whole. I mean, it sounds like empathetic capitalism is really right up your alleyway. I mean, I'm, I'm curious about what you think about that though. I mean, not, not just improving, obviously this mobile home park, you know, I'm, I'm going to improve this tenant's lives, but overall it's going to improve the community. And, and by doing that, people are going to want me to come in and invest in their communities and, and stuff like that. I'm, I'm curious what you think. Yeah. My friend Glenn Esterson came on my podcast to talk about empathetic capitalism and he and I are big preachers of that. It's really hard because <clears throat> I could probably be making more money. And unfortunately, one day I will sell what I own and to someone who is likely going to strip out the empathy part and plug in the capitalism part. And it just, it is what it is. It, there is always going to be a balance that you will have to strike within your own psychology of do I act generously or do I act profitably? And 
it is really, really hard some days. And especially when you have to raise rents, I'm actually writing a podcast episode right now where I'm going to talk about a mobile home park that got, that's getting redeveloped. And one of the main reasons it's getting redeveloped is because the market is about 600 bucks and the guy was charging 300 bucks and including water, sewer, and trash and landscaping. So in other words, these people were basically living for 300 bucks in a market where you can't find anything for under a thousand before utilities and landscaping and all that jazz. So in other words, these folks are living on next to nothing. And because of that, he couldn't turn a a reasonable enough profit and then sold it to a developer. Can you blame the guy? No. Why? Because he wasn't practicing enough capitalism. Right now, the flip of that is these knuckleheads who get in trouble in the news where they go in and they raise rents above market and they crunch these folks that are living in these communities. Look, you you should and could you could and should be charging a fair and reasonable price that the market itself sets out. Not I'm going to go and basically be predatory. So, but at the same time. It, the question is whose ethics and whose empathy? Because you could also make the argument that, yeah, maybe I'm charging 750 at a market that should support 600. So on the one hand, I'm being predatory in the regard that the market is not 750. But as soon as I, if I don't charge 750, this plot of land is not the highest and best use anymore. Therefore, I am going to lose to a developer and a motivated city council. So in other words, whose ethics, whose empathy, the empathy of the investors? Are the investors necessarily the bad guys in all of this? I know some wonderful human beings who are incredibly philanthropic who are investors in deals. I also know plenty of residents who are despicable human beings. Seriously, they shoot people, they do drugs, they spread drugs, they spread crime. Who is necessarily the good guy and who is necessarily the bad guy? Look, I want to save affordable housing. That's my goal. But I am publicly telling you right now, (laughs) it is incredibly hard and incredibly thankless because I could go up a dollar on my rent and my residents would get mad. It it just, it is what it is, you know? And, And at the end of the day, you have to Find your own code of ethics and do your best to adhere by them, especially in tough times, because if you don't adhere to your own ethics in tough times, you didn't really actually have a code of ethics, right? So it's really hard to define ethics and, and empathy, but I will say this, not, I am not afraid to write a check. I never have been. I probably never will be if I think it will help someone. And I, I don't think it's perpetuating a bad situation. I hate evicting people. It's the worst thing in the world. But I would would happily would happily write big checks to people in exchange for keys and a lease cancellation agreement. I'm happy to do that. It doesn't happen that way, unfortunately, a lot of the times. I'm actually speaking of which, literally today, I was on the phone with one of my one of my property managers, one of my favorite residents. I'm having to evict her. Why? Because I was too empathetic. Now she has a, a she's like three or four months behind, and now it's. Obvious she's not paying us. And even worse, when she was in court this afternoon, she she just basically raised her hand and asked the judge how much more time would filing an appeal buy her. And so it's like, it, it's again, who's ethics? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Or is it possible that you can be a good guy and a bad guy at the same time? It's, <laughs> look, 
really, really thankless. So anyone who's like, boy, I can't wait to quit my job and get into real estate. Guess what? It's really a thankless job and, and can just be gut wrenching at times. The last thing, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is so great, and and this is uh, what you're talking through this this empathy, and it's it's so incredible, and it's who is the good guy, who's the bad guy. It's like there is no right answer. It's almost like it, it's it's really about how you perceive it or or whatnot. But um, before we get ready to wrap up, I just wanted to hit you with with one more thing, and you've touched on it a little bit throughout the interview today. But you know, when it comes to building true wealth and, and living below your means, and and like you said, a big part of what you do is investing the money back into the parks to uh, build equity and, and to build them up. Like, I'm curious when it comes to living below your means, I mean, how important is that in your opinion to kind of building true wealth? And, and you know, you look at so many people out there that whatever, they've, they've got the 100000 a year or $100,000 a year job and they're driving around in a Lamborghini. And then you see the guys making a million dollars a year who are driving, you know, whatever, uh, 1990 civics and stuff like that, or, or fill in the blank, you know, whatever. But uh, I just want to get that thought from you before we wrap up and hop in the bonus round. I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because I was going to actually force you into bringing this up if you didn't ask that. So it's funny. I literally went to I, my favorite sports team is the Carolina Panthers. And I went to a Carolina Panthers viewing party over the last weekend. And I parked my 10 year old Volvo right out front and pulling up behind me is this brand new black on black Lamborghini. The thing looked incredible. And we both walk inside. And of course, everyone's like, oh, the Lamborghini, look at all. Oh, my goodness. Yada, yada, yada. And meanwhile, my Volvo has got over 100,000 miles on it. And I'm sitting there and I don't say a word to anyone, but I know in the back of my mind, I am worth more than this person based on the stories he is sharing, based on what business he's in, yada, yada, yada. Also, I also got wind that some of that may have been daddy's money. I did not receive any checks from my dad to start my business or anything like that. I, I was, I had no money, I had negative money. And I'm sitting there like, okay, no judgment. That's great. You want to go out and spend 150 grand plus, plus, plus on a car? Do it. That's great. You know what I want to do? I want to take $150,000 and I want to invest it in things that make more than the normal amount of return. So this is the greater point that I, I want to get at. I just had an episode come out on my podcast called Why You're Probably Not Rich. And the argument I bring up using macroeconomic data is that first and foremost, for the overwhelming majority of Americans, their primary wealth generator is their single family home. Well, as we know, single family homes appreciate called two to three percent a year, which is basically inflation. So it's basically like a a an illiquid or not easily liquefiable CD. And that's the majority of their wealth. Can it make you rich? Yeah, sure. Eventually, in decades, if you're lucky and you time it right. And then folks beyond that, if you have a little bit of extra cash, what's the next logical thing? Oh, the stock market. Well, traditionally, the stock market pays 7% annually. And there's study after study after study that show basically a monkey throwing darts at the board does better than even analysts do who know everything in the world about stocks because stocks are, statistically speaking, a random walk, meaning you might think you have an edge, but guess what? There's always someone smarter than you, and the market makers actually are the ones really driving things. And if you look at 
you, the stock market in general, you have this thing, these, this group of people called odd lots, which they are just statistical anomalies in a, in a regard because they always make the wrong decisions. And that's a lot of times people like me and you who think we know what we're doing in the stock market and don't. We sell instead of buy and vice versa. And at the end of the day, let's say you even do it right. If you look at the stock market in general, it's making plus or minus 7%. And by the way, if you're not in a retirement account, you're going to pay capital gains tax on on what you on that difference on, on what you do make. So in other words, you're guaranteeing yourself a single digit return. Same thing with your house. You are guaranteeing yourself a single digit return. So the majority of Americans invest in things that provide single digit returns. And then the ones who are a little wealthier than that, that invest in conventional things like stocks and bonds also are investing in single digit returns. Meanwhile, alternative investments, which include things like real estate, Bitcoin, stuff like that, alternative investments, according to the Motley Fool, um, ultra the average ultra wealthy individual, which is a net worth of $30 million or above, has in their portfolio on average 50% of alternative investments. 50%! Meanwhile, us normies over here are investing in, in low-cost index funds and GameStop and, and these things that we think are going to go to the moon when, statistically speaking, they produce single-digit returns. Meanwhile, I, I did a whole analysis over the weekend with my wife of the last six years, and almost all of our net worth is in alternative investments. Seriously. And I did a little ratio of how much money did I make versus how much money did I reinvest. And it was consistently 50% or greater every single year. And that comes from, like you brought up, living below your means, realizing what things are going to make you happy and what things really aren't actually doing anything for you. And then finding alternative investments that are going to at least make you double-digit returns. And by the way, if you're buying a single-family home rental and it's projected only make you like 6% and it's illiquid, stop. Realize you can set up an LLC, buy it with an LLC, get things like depreciation, run things like your internet through, as long as there's a reasonable business uh, reason for that expense, you can do things like rent your own home office to yourself. There are ways that you can save money on your taxes, which will push that 6% return up above and beyond 10%. So <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, there are ways you can make a greater than 10% return. And if, if you do the math, you're not, you'll, you're, if you're investing in just the stock market and your single family home, you are guaranteeing yourself not to be rich anytime soon. You are in, in that regard, focused on capital preservation, which is fine. And you are focused on compounding interest working its magic over decades. If you want to get wealthy quickly, you have to focus on capital multiplication events. That doesn't happen with single-digit returns. That happens with triple-digit returns, which happens when you do things like go and live in a mobile home park and 
tie your invested dollar into some type of multiplication. Like you 2X your, your equity based on dollars put in when you hit a certain return threshold. That's what I do in basically every single one of my mobile home park deals. So I end up 2Xing to 8Xing, in some cases 10Xing every dollar I invest in my properties because I'm the one actually operating them. I'm not outsourcing that. So I'm due that multiplication. So folks listening in, glad Jesse asked this question. Don't just invest in single digit return things that we all know because of public studies and data will probably only give you a one single digit return. Uh, look at alternative invested investments like buying businesses, owning real estate, looking at things like Bitcoin, be incredibly safe with Bitcoin. I'll let the other guy talk about Bitcoin. I, I currently don't own any Bitcoin, but I'm I'm with it for various reasons. But yeah, folks, listening in, stop focusing on just capital preservation. Look for capital multiplication or at a minimum, look at things that are going to make you uh, double digit returns with the appropriate risk reward profile, right? Don't just blindly invest with someone who's promising you great returns. Go out, learn a skill, learn how a business works, then find a good operator that you vet yourself because you have those skills and either partner with them or invest passively with them or develop skills so you become a better investor, a better shepherd of your own capital dollar, and then let your money make you money. That's the goal. Yeah, 100%. I mean, so many great nuggets that you got there. And crazy stat, I didn't even know that. Uh, when you hit the high net worth individuals, over 50% of their portfolios are in alternative investments. Super, super cool statistic. I had no idea, but it makes total sense now that I'm thinking about it. Um, as we wrap up here and we enter the bonus round, I just got a couple more, maybe a little bit on the personal, not so much real estate related questions that I just want to hit you with before we close out here. Um, I, I was curious, I mean, looking back on your entire life and and how you grew up and kind of built into this, you know, into your real estate portfolio. I mean, any major, you know, who's a big mentor or hero? I'm curious that you've had in your life and, and what type of impact they've had on you. Uh, it's too many. Yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> look, I, I've forced myself to meet thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And even today, even though I have a really stout database and network within the mobile home park space, I still am actively looking to meet anybody and anyone with a pulse. I don't care if you're a vendor or a newbie that may never buy a mobile home park or you own thousands of mobile home park lots. I don't care. I want to meet you and I want to learn from you. And some of the best lessons I've learned in my life have come from folks who will never do anything with their lives. So this idea that you need to go and talk to this. See, I remember I talked to the former CEO of Pepsi, Steve Reinemann, wicked, impressive guy, T took out so many nuggets from that. Guy. Every time I talked to him, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And he said something to me, which is great, which is he said, the mobile home park thing is a good idea. I just would never invest in it because I don't know it. Interesting. No, but also because... I also don't know what he knows or have any interest in things like snack distribution or syrup production and bottling. He's also not really that useful to me, right? We're not overly useful to each other other than a good conversation and swapping some lessons learned, right? And that's the, the kind of temptation to go go big or go home when when what you might not see is that the person sitting next to you on the bus may change your life 
I mean, I had a guy I went out and had a drink with who looked at what I was doing in mobile home parks and went, man, I'm, I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina with you. Let's go get some drinks. It's on me. Just help me grow my single family home business. I went, look, I'm not going to say no to going and hang out with you and trying to help you because I love helping people and I love hanging out. But just FYI, like, let's temper our expectations here because I know nothing about fixing and flipping single family homes. And after a couple hours of hanging out, I, I learned so many things from someone who had only flipped a handful of homes and for all intents and purposes was a, a newbie. I mean, I probably learned as much in that meeting about life as I did. By the way, completely accidentally, he was not trying to educate me at all. He was trying to take from me, not the other way around. Then, then sitting down with the CEO, former CEO of Pepsi. So, in other words, what I, what I'm getting at here is is you just need to listen because you don't necessarily need to sit down with someone as impressive as the former CEO of Pepsi. And if you do, drink in every second of it because you'll learn amazing things that'll stick with you for the rest of your life. But just because you maybe can't necessarily get a meeting with someone that's a former CEO, I've said that I've met plenty of CEOs over over the years, a handful of them, probably plus or minus five of them, and I've learned some pretty incredible things from from each one of them. But I gotta say, I've learned more valuable things from just listening to everyday folks and not going, ah, whatever, you're you're unemployed. I'm not gonna listen to you. No. And beyond that, some of my best friends are my mentors and vice versa. I've, I've told some of the people who I would consider a mentor, you are my mentor. And they've turned back around and go, buddy, I've learned so much from you that I, that's not fair. <laughs> so I will say for anyone listening in, it's all about mentors. It's all about finding people you can learn from either on purpose or accidentally and share the wealth. You know, be helpful to people who you think are worth way more than you or way more talented than you. They can learn from you too. There are people like me out there who want to help you regardless of who you are. And you should be one of those people too. You should want to go and learn. Just all you have to do is ask questions and listen. That's it. And just, just put it all together over time. So yeah, a great question about mentors. And I would say it, it takes a village, man. I don't ever want anybody to listen in and think that I'm some rock star. The truth is I'm not. I just had a lot of conversations with a lot of people and read a lot of books and then something stuck and I tried some things and they worked. <laughs> There's nothing stopping you from reading a bunch of books, talking to a bunch of people, taking a bunch of lessons that you can remember and then trying some things out and then having them work. It's very simple. It just takes a long time and it can be incredibly frustrating and hard and will require some sacrifice here and there. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Dude, so powerful. No, that's, that's incredible. Last thing I wanted to hit you with was, uh, and I, I hit this with everybody and it's so unique, the answers that we get on it, but you know, R Ryan Nars is living the perfect life. Dude. What's happening? Uh, just answer how I interpret it, or do you have a specific way you want to go with that? Just how, just how you interpret it. Not much more than I already, what I already have. Quite frankly, I realize I actually don't want to travel. I actually don't want a Lamborghini. I was actually, I didn't tell anybody this at the party last weekend, but I actually felt really great when a dude parked next to me in a black <laughs> Lambo and I'm sitting there with a 10 year old car. I went, you know what? This is okay. 
don't need the attention. And actually, in the back of my mind, I'm going, I could take that money that you have right there. And if I could pay myself a 10% clip, that's an extra $15,000 a year. If I can invest properly and passively, that's, and it's a $150,000 car, that's 15,000 bucks a year. Plus I have net worth and possible depreciation and other stuff too. So it could be possibly more than 15,000 bucks a year that makes money and appreciates while I'm sleeping. Meanwhile, your car is a constant stress of getting pooped on by a bird or scratched by someone or in a car wreck. (laughs) And so me, that makes me happy. Am I right? No, not necessarily. I could be wrong, but maybe that makes him happy. You know, it makes me happy. It makes me happy as times of helping people, making the world a better place because I, I am in it. Uh, spending time with my son and my wife and my friends and my family and getting to be in the city I love and follow my favorite sports teams. And that's what a perfect life is for me is, is knowing who you are and helping others and getting exactly what you want in life and making the world better. So a perfect life for me is really not that much different than what I've had. I guess all I would say, Jesse, is more of it. I would like to help more people and I would like to get more time with friends and family. And I just, I want to make the world a better place. Not much more. Yeah. I mean, like before we started recording today, I mean, you hopped down and was like, Jesse, dude, I just want to help people today, man. Like, I don't care what we talk about. We, We don't need to talk about mobile home parks. We don't need to talk about wealth. Like, Whatever I can just do to help people, I mean, just so powerful, dude. Just waking up every day and having that mentality—it's it's, uh, it's free. It doesn't take any effort. It's just having that mentality every day. But uh, Brian, I can't thank you enough, dude, for coming on and and giving us all this incredible content. I mean, if people want to get a hold of you after this or or anything like that, I mean, what's the best way for reaching you or hitting you up or? Hey, like Tupac used to say, I ain't hard to find. My last name is spelled N-A-R-U-S. If you Google Ryan Naris, I am tattooed all over the internet. I am not a hard person to find. And I want to be found. That's why I am so all over the internet. I want people to reach out to me. I want to help you. I don't want a thing from you. Seriously, I don't want a thing from you. I genuinely speaking love helping others. It brings me joy and I want to make the world a better place. And if I can inspire you to go out and do the same, then we all together can be a, a part of, of a big change and a big wave of, of helpfulness. So I also have a mentorship program myself. It's mobilehomeparkmentors.com. If you are curious where my mobile home parks are, I have all the addresses, lock counts, all that jazz on my website, archimedesgrp.com. I have my own podcast. Mobile home parks in real life will stress the IRL in real life portion. I'm a very blunt person. I, it is not a sexy podcast, <laughs> but it's truth. And sometimes you need truth, not a sugar pill. So that's me. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, if, if you are pretty much so not a bot, I will accept you on LinkedIn and you can message me there. You can email me through my website. I'm I'm not hard to find and I want to be found because I want to help you. Don't need anything in return. Awesome. Brian, thank you again, brother. I appreciate it for everything you do and, and go out of your way to help everybody to come on this podcast. The content you add, it's it's incredible. And, and I wish the world had more Ryan Norris's in it, brother. I appreciate well, the hey, time today. Together we can do that if we <laughs> encourage people to go out there and help others too. So. Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you again. I appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you later. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests 
each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.